Amen. At this time, we have a special guest speaker all the way from somewhere in Kansas. I don't know where that is, but let's put our hands together. Welcome, Pastor Chandler. Bring God's word today. Check it out, everybody. Notes. Yes. So just for the sake of consistency, uh, I think I should probably start with something embarrassing this morning. Um, um, I, I don't know, not really, but I, I was writing and I realized, I've never thought about this before this sermon, but I realized I wrote uh, one of my jokes down and that's so strange to write a joke down because it's like, I don't know, it's just lame. It seems lame to me. Maybe other pastors or preachers, they write their own jokes down. Probably not P. Sid because he's a comic genius, but um, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I don't know. Anyways, I, I uh, it, last time... Uh, was not how I hope it will always go. But I think it's going to be great today if you'll hang in there with me, and uh, we're going to look at God's Word together. But um, as, as Christians, there are things that we should um, find ourselves concerned with, right? Uh, there are things that we should be interested in as Christians. Uh, and of the multitude, um, there are a few obvious um, Christian interests that I want to point to today. Uh, and the first one is, um, who is Jesus? Like, we should be concerned with this question of who is Jesus? Who is he historically? Who is, his, who is he in his character? And, and, and we, we should be concerned with who he is. Amen? I mean, come on. That's like as basic as it gets. Like, as Christians, we should be um, interested in the person of Jesus. Uh, and then the other is apple trees. Okay, we should be interested in apple trees. And obviously, okay, because that's so random, you know where this is going. You've been in church long enough, probably. And if you haven't, you know enough about church from a distance to know this is going to be an analogy, right? You get it. Uh, but when I was young, <clears throat> my parents, they planted a few apple trees in our backyard. Um, and I just remember um, waiting with such excitement um, to to pick those apples off the tree. I don't know. I just thought they'd be better than apples bought in the store or something. I don't know. I was just excited, right? I think it's just cool. Something's growing in your backyard, and you're going to get to eat it. That's cool as a kid or any time, really. Um, but I was excited. And when the time for apples um, came, uh, there were no apples, right? There were none. I was like, what? It's, see it's apple season. My mom said, start looking, you know. And I was looking, and I was looking, and nothing, nothing happened, there were no apples, um, and I was, I was mad. Like, I was like, what? Come on. Like, this is, they're apple trees. There should be apples, right? Like, what's the point? They're just like stupid sticks sticking out of the ground at this point, right? Um, but, but here's the deal. I don't remember exactly when, uh, but sometime a season later, some, some, sometime later, apples began to grow. The tree produced, right? And that's, I guess that's just how it works. I'm not a botanist, but uh, there is a lifespan of a tree and somewhere, you know, they don't produce fruit until a certain point in their, their growth process or whatever. But it, that didn't matter to me. Like, I was stoked, right, because my mom was going to make an apple pie with those apples. And I was like, yes. And uh, they, they were, it was the best apple pie ever, I think. I don't know. I was five. Um, but, <laughs> but when those apple trees produced apples, to me, to my eyes, they found a whole new purpose, right? They, they, they achieved their purpose as I saw it. They weren't just stupid twigs sticking out of the ground. They were apple trees. See, those apple trees, they weren't apple trees until they, they started producing apples, right, for a pie specifically. Am I right? Come on. 
But here's the deal, and you see it coming, right? Like these apple trees, Christians are not fulfilling their purpose if they're not producing fruit. Amen? So that's what we're going to look at today. Who Jesus is, right? Don't forget that. so important. And then the spiritual health of the believer um, or producing fruit or apple trees, right? We should care about, about apple trees. And we're going to, to we're gonna do this by looking at the gospel according to John in chapter 15. Um, so I think it's interesting. Many, many purposes have been um, brought forth for the gospel of John. Um, some have argued that John is a defense against heresy concerning the deity of Christ. Uh, some have said that um, it's an argument toward the Jews, as he, as he puts it, he, um, for Jesus as the Messiah. Um, and I think it's, it's both and uh, out of these two. And there's more, but I, I think these are pretty important ones historically, um, considering the historical context and all of that. But I think it's both and. And in fact, John, he tells us what the purpose is. It's really cool. In chapter 20, verse 31, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Yeah. That is a great, I, I, I love it when authors tell you why they're writing, right? I mean, it's like, okay, I don't have to like beat around the bush. I know, right? He tells us. It's so that his, his readers would believe in who Jesus is and so that they would have life. Amen. Amen. Yeah, yeah, amen. It's great. It's great. The really cool thing, I think, is that John goes about doing this um, in a very unique way, okay? It's interesting, in one of the resources I used for this sermon, uh, there was a quote in the beginning by John Calvin, who's a really, really smart guy, and part of it says, um, the first three, talking about the other three Gospels, exhibit his body, but John shows his soul, right? He's, <laughs> John shows his soul. And, and I, I don't know, I just, I thought that was a pretty cool quote. Um, I don't know if that's true. Like, I don't know where he gets that. Like, I, I'm like, eh, okay, I, that's weird. But um, it at least, it shows you the reputation that John has, right? John has this reputation, um, and rightly so, right? It, it, um, John, he does, he shows us the character of Jesus in an incredibly unique way. Like, it's different than the other Gospels. And people have, like, theorized, like, why that is, if that, you know, any, but my point is this, it, it's cool, right? Amen. It's cool. Like, John is really exciting, and I just, I would tell you this to get you into it. Like, be excited about how John shares with us the person of Jesus. It, it's incredible, and throughout um, the book, um, this purpose, right, that we're talking about is very apparent, specifically, I think, in Jesus' use of I am statements, right? A lot of you maybe heard about these, but we call them the seven I am statements uh, in the Gospel of John. Um, and we are going to look at the seventh today in chapter 15. I'm really excited. So let's, let's read. Let's dive in. John chapter 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes that it, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me so that I also remain in you, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine. 
Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Lord Jesus, help us, God, to hear what your spirit is saying. Lord God, I pray that you will speak to us, not through human ideas, but through your word, God, that we would um, receive the truth and that we would apply it to our lives, that we would not leave this place the same, but God, that we would accept your word and live it out. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I'm the true vine and my father is the gardener. The first thing that can't be overlooked, we, we already started talking about it, is this I am, right? It, it's significant and, and it's most likely a reference to mul- multiple places where I am is used interchangeably with Yahweh, right? Uh, I believe one of the strongest and coolest occurrences of this name in the Old Testament is Exodus chapter 3, right? Um, Moses says to God, he says, who are you? Um, and, and God says, I am who I am. Right? It's so cool. It's such a cool line. Actually, to our ears, we, we kind of might think, okay, that's kind of like a pointless answer. It's like when you ask your parents, why? And, your dad, and they're like, because I said so. It's like, okay, that's not an answer. You're just saying, you're just, ah, it's frustrating as a kid, right? Um, but it's not, it's not quite that. There, this is actually, actually carries some weight. See, he wasn't created. God wasn't created. Amen. He does not have a beginning or an end. He does not change. He is bigger than our comprehension. He just is, right? I am who I am. He just is. A lot of times what we we do, we think about God, we think about him as this guy up up in the clouds with the white beard just changing his mind and zapping people and doing all. That is like a really, really bad anthropomorphism. It's like God is human. That's No, no, no. We can't think about him in that way. We run into issues, right? He is. He just is. That is a great name, I am, right? That is a great uh, designation. So when Jesus says, I am, these seven times, that's no coincidence. Um, that statement carries the same weight that it carried thousands of years before when God says to Moses, I am who I am. Yes. Jesus is God. I think this is very important to these statements. I, I would say central to these statements. Some of you are probably like, okay lame. Tell me something I don't know, right? You're like, I know that. Like, we, what, what do you think? We, we've been in church forever. We know Jesus is God, right? But here's the thing. Most of you know this to be true. We know this to be true, but then we turn around and we act as if it weren't. We live our life as, it, as, if, as if Jesus wasn't God. We say, Jesus is Lord, but then he has no say in how we live our lives. Do you see the contradiction? Do you see how something that we say over and over and over loses its meaning and then we're just, what? We're here for nothing. Like You know what I'm saying? Like, why? Don't let the fact that the incarnate God is given to us in, in, in the Bible and we can see him, we can know him, we can abide in him. Don't let that lose its meaning. It's powerful. Let it affect your life. Let it affect how you see the world. We say Jesus is God, but we don't keep his commands. Oh, come on. Don't don't give me that religion. No, no. This is about true religion. This is about living out what the Bible says. We don't keep his commands. Or, get this, we don't even care enough to, like, 
try and know what they are. We don't even care enough to investigate. Like, I'm living this way, and I don't really know if it's right or wrong, but I also really don't care enough to check. You know what I mean? Like, that is messed up. You don't have an excuse just because you don't know. You need to find out, right? Amen. Go to his word. Know what he says. Obey him. Amen. We say we believe Jesus is God, but then we act as if, we, uh, as if winning the lottery would fix all of our problems. This is, this is, Jill and I, we're guilty of this. I'll be, I'll be straight with you. Every time we drive by the Powerball sign, we're like, oh, it's up to 100 million, whatever. And we're like, woohoo, what would you do with that money? And I'm like, oh, I, oops, sorry about that. I would tithe and, you know, I'd be given to missions and, uh, oh, man, I would give to this missionary, this missionary. And then I'm like, oh, and then school would be paid for. I would, I would, I wouldn't take a salary anywhere. I would, I would start a company to fix the, the energy crisis, you know, like all this stuff, super I, I, and I feel this almost like a sense of release, relief as I'm imagining having millions of dollars. That is messed up. Yeah. That is messed up. Is Jesus God or is money God? Come on. Yeah, that's right. This is for you, America, right? Like this, let's come. This is a big one. This is a big one. I want to live as if Jesus is God, Amen. not money. Let's say, let's, let's say Jesus is God. Let's believe Jesus is God. Yes, let's affirm it together in church all the time, but let's not let it lose its meaning. Let's live as if he actually is. Amen. Jesus says, I am, and that's a powerful statement, but he continues, I am the true vine, the true vine. This is, I love it. I love this. The imagery of the vineyard or the vine was commonly used to depict Israel, Right? Uh, probably a lot of you probably know this in, in a lot of the prophets, Jeremiah, Jeremiah Hosea, um, all, all throughout um, the Old Testament, as well as other um, Hebrew literature, the vine, the vineyard is is an image of Israel. Um, and it would be a common imagery for other things as well. I mean, they have vineyards and vines on their coins. They have uh, their temple has vineyards and this kind of imagery. So it's 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 common, right? The, the, the original readers definitely would have been like, oh, they would have been tracking with this imagery, kind of like us with the apple tree or something like that. You know what I'm saying? Um, but when we read true vine, emphasis on the true, right, we are forced to compare Israel to the true vine. We're forced to see this contrast. I find this really interesting. See, Israel was God's chosen people. They were a chosen nation but they were an imperfect chosen people, as, as we all are, right? They weren't the true vine. They weren't the true vine. And I hate this. Israel gets a bad rap, you know, like the Jewish tradition in general for Christians is like, oh, they're the bad guys. Because, you know, the Gospels kind of paint that picture because of the conflict with the religious leaders of the day and the, the, all that. But, but look, like, we're imperfect too. Come on. We're very imperfect, too. We would not, if we were put in their shoes, it, it would be a, a very similar situation or worse. Let's just be honest, right? But, but we see this contrast. Um, they're imperfect. They're not the true vine. Israel was God's chosen people, and they also harbored his presence. But even this aspect of Israel was flawed because they were imperfect. Again, God's perfect presence couldn't just dwell with this, this imperfection. It, didn't, it doesn't work. It doesn't compute, right? 
Israel wasn't the true vine. So you have this sacrificial system. It's really beautiful. It's really cool. Then the, the law codes of the Old Testament and, and you, the, the, this covenant that God has with his people so that God can still be with his people. But Israel keeps breaking the covenant, covenant right? They keep they keep like being unfaithful to God. And then you have all the prophets and you have everything. And they're like, hey, like stop this, you know. But Israel's imperfect. See, in the true vine, we have the reconciliation that God always intended. Amen? In the true vine, we can be brought into communion, into the presence, into relation with God in our imperfection because Jesus made the way. There's so many people who won't come to church. And Pastor Sid, he talked about this last week. He told this story. They won't come to church because they're ashamed of, of what they've done or because they think that they will feel worse. It breaks my heart. Because what they need to know is what they need to realize is that they can be reconciled to God. Amen. God is in the business of reconciliation. And I'm sorry for that really preachery, like just phrase right there but it's true like he does it over and over and over in his word he does it over and over and over in our in our lives he he reconciles us but what we need to realize is we also need to understand this not just the people who don't want to come to church because they're because they're not reconciled to god or whatever we need to reconcile recognize his power to reconcile us too because we have to be able and willing to participate in that process. Amen. We have to be willing to tell people, no, no, like, don't feel worse. Come in here. Come in here into this place where we love each other. Come in here into this place where we recognize uh, the true vine and the reconciliation that it provides. Come into this place where we want to participate in the grace of God. Amen. And then we rejoice. So Israel is God's chosen people. They harbored his presence. And, and this is, I really love this. I, I see Israel was God's direct line to the world. This is so important in our understanding of the mission of the church and the mission of God. It's super cool that we see God use Israel to speak to the world over and over throughout the Old Testament. I think of Rahab, right? She knows this God. She, she's heard about this God, right? I think of uh, Jonah, right, going to Nineveh. God sends Jonah to Nineveh, the, the, the capital of the Assyrians, right, like these horrible people. And Jonah doesn't want to go, by the way, because he's a jerk, but another time. Gideon, David, and Goliath, so many instances where uh, God said to the world, hey, I am, I am who I am. But again, they were an imperfect example an imperfect line of communication. They didn't always show the world what God intended them to show the world, right? They didn't always enact and, and participate in social justice. They didn't always treat immigrants and refugees as God is calling to treat them. You, you see what I'm saying? They weren't always there. They weren't always doing what they were supposed to do. They broke the covenant. They were unfaithful. A lot like us. So God sent the true vine, Jesus, to be our lifeline. Hallelujah. 
to be our example. But he's the true vine. He's not imperfect. John 14, 6. I'm just so, I'm reminded of this. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is our mediator. He bridges the gap between us and God. He's the example for the world. He's the example for us. Amen? That's Jesus. That's who he is. It's powerful. I'm the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. We've talked about who Jesus is, right? That's good stuff. I love it, right? Now we're getting into the hard stuff, right? The nitty-gritty. Branches. You people, those in Jesus, must bear fruit. If a branch doesn't bear fruit, it will be cut off. And and I think it's interesting, again, considering the, the historical background, many commentators believe that this is pointing and, and kind of directed at the religious leaders of the day, uh, the Jews, as, as John refers to them. And I think that it needs to be mentioned that these people thought that they were in the true vine, right? Like, they thought they were good. They thought they were right. Paul talks about how he thought he, would, he, was, he was justified, Right? He was an enemy of, of Christians and of Christ, but he, was, he saw himself as being zealous for the Lord. But they're not producing fruit. They might think they are, but they're not, right? This is a sign that they were spiritually dead. And I wonder how many of us are in this very place where we think we are connected to the vine, we think we're producing this fruit, but it's nothing at all what Jesus desires. It's nothing at all what God shows us in Christ. And we're just lying to ourselves. Maybe it's culture. You're connected to the vine of of Christian culture or secular culture. You know, you're producing the fruit that you think you should be producing because of all the people around you that have affected your worldview and all all these things. Maybe uh, it's something really good like morality, moral virtue. Look, this is important to Christians. Ethics is important to Christians. The question of morality, good and wrong, that's very important. But when you make it only about that, you're you're not in the true vine. These religious leaders were probably very, you know, in a lot of ways, very moral people, most, a lot of them. They were very devoted people. They would memorize, like, everything, you know what I mean? Like, they're, but it wasn't the true vine. They need to be connected to Jesus. There are endless things that we could be connected to that aren't the true vine. And the scary thing is that we could be cut off, Right? And I, I, I want to stress, this isn't a reason to worry about our salvation. It, it's, it would be easy to preach it that way. I, I don't believe that's the point. It's a reason to be in the true vine. It's a reason to check, to see, are you bearing fruit? It's a call to wake up. Amen. Wake up. Bear fruit. Are you in the true vine? God prunes or cleanses is kind of the idea the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. This reminds me of James chapter 1, right? 
where a hardship produces perseverance, and perseverance produces spiritual maturity, right? Hardship's not easy, right? I don't think pruning, this idea of pruning, pruning is like an easy process that, that John has in mind or that Jesus has in mind. I don't think that's what he's saying. I don't think it's like, hey, you're safe now. You're all good. Easy life. Woo! It's going to be fun. No. Wait, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> if you're new to this and you're like, what? I thought that was a, I thought that was a thing. Don't, don't walk out. Don't walk out yet. It gets, it gets, it's good. It's good, I promise. Amen. See, it's not, I'm saved, boom, full stop. Understand that there's a process here. There is a process. It doesn't even end, listen, it doesn't even end at bear fruit, bearing fruit. Notice that. Like he's saying, they, they do bear fruit. But God desires more for you. God desires for you to go through this process, and it doesn't end when you just, okay, I've achieved this Christian points goal, like I got a 1,000. Yay. No. When's the last time you allowed God to prune? When's the last time you were willing to look at yourself and what you're about and say, is this, is this the true vine? Is this what I should be producing When's the last time you allowed the Holy Spirit to convict you? Like, for, I, I'll be honest. Sometimes I'm like, I take the, the knob for the Holy Spirit conviction and I just turn it down, you know, and I just kind of ignore that, you know, like, because I've been in the church all my life. Like, I don't do anything really that bad. So it's like, do I really need to be convicted, Holy Spirit? I don't know. You know? When's the last time you read your Bible and allowed it to challenge you and your current thinking? The way you view the world, the way you view people, the way you treat your family, your loved ones, or, or your enemies. Mm-hmm. Are you going through the process? This is a life that we're talking about. This isn't one and done, right? It's a good life. Wednesday, we talked about this the good life. It's powerful. Be a part of it. Understand that um, spiritual maturity is so important, but we tend to want to say, you know, we're good where we're at, right? We tend, we or we tend to want to be comfortable, stay in our comfort zones, do the same old, same old. And I know, like, look, I get it. Change is hard in any way, in church culture, in in life, in our thinking, in our mindset. Change it. It's not easy, but if we're progressing, we're always going to be changing, right? Like, I have to recognize that I might look at this passage 10 years down the road and be like, what was I thinking? And, and I understand, I'm not trying to speak from, like, a place of, like, incredible authority or anything like that. Like, I'm just saying, we have to be willing to grow in Christ, Right? Verse 3, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So I I think this is a great balancing statement. Jesus reminds us that the, the point is not to start doing like, 
I gotta bear fruit, I gotta bear fruit. Like the, that's not that's not the point only, right? The point he's getting at is that we have to abide in Christ. That's the key. And I want to I want to I want to talk about that idea of remaining in Him or abiding in Him. One guy wrote an article about the spirituality in John, and he and he talks about spirituality to John is not just like you know, mysticism or, or whatever, like, yes, he has the miraculous, he has the, the book of signs and all these things that point to Jesus, but what is the purpose there, right? What is this showing? What is this saying about Jesus? Spirituality in John is about a life of action uh, for Jesus, right? A, a, a much of it having to do with social justice, much of it having to do with love. Oh, come on, it's huge, love. Specifically, the love of Christ, and a lot of it having to do with abiding in Jesus. So I think it's important to kind of define that. In this idea of abiding in Christ, what are we talking about there? How do we do that? Well, I think it's about relationship. And understand here that when we say that word, our automatically our idea is probably wrong. Because our Western mindset, our Western worldview of what a relationship is, is so warped at this point. It's about being in relation with God, having um, a lifeline to him, communing with him, talking with him. Um, but it's about having your life turned toward Christ, Amen. right? In, in, in everything. When you make small decisions, in the moments, in the moments that life has, the, you know, the moments, the brushing your teeth when you're grouchy and your wife is like, hurry up, we're going to be late. Those moments, right? In the moments where you're at work and your boss is like just honestly a jerk. You have to realize as a Christian, you're called to love your jerky boss. Yes. Like, yes. You can't live this out and not realize the practical implications of abiding in Jesus. I talk about it with like you students. This thing is going to get me. I talk about it like when we're focused on Jesus, it's like when you're mowing the lawn. I, lo- I used to love mowing the lawn to get my lines really, really straight. But here's the deal. If you look at your previous line, you know, you did a pass and the grass is taller. If you look at that, you're going to get crooked. You're going to get off. But if you're trying to keep your line straight, what you want to do is you want to pick the spot at the end of the, lo- the, the other pass and you go straight toward it. You watch that. If you take your eyes out, you're going to be crooked. Fix your eyes on Christ, and as you go through life, you will move towards him. Again, it's a process. It's a process. Fruit will be produced because Jesus is a life-giving vine. Amen? Fix your eyes on Christ and fruit will be produced. But again, we have to make, we got to bring this to the ground level. We got to bring this to the, the practical level. What does it look like to bear fruit? If we don't bring this to the practical level, again, it's going to be one of those things that we say over and over and over and then it has no meaning. And here's the truth to, to bear fruit, I think in this context, I think you could probably open your Bible and point, right? Like, do what he says is so important, and he says a lot. 
But I think with the immediate context here, loving one another is a big one, right? Because right after this, he, go, he talks about love, loving one another. It's a big one. And again, this is another one of those things. So many things like this. We, we talk about it until it loses its meaning. We're talking about practically loving one another. We're talking about not saying that rude and hurtful thing, even if it's true, everyone. Even if you're like, I know I'm right, don't say it. It's, you're not, that's not loving. Loving is not being about being right. It's about being loving. It's about putting on Christ and acting like Christ in that situation, having wisdom and humility. You see what I'm saying? We're talking about um, uh, not subposting on Facebook, right? So don't, you know, if you don't know what subposting is, it's, you probably have done it, like you're, you're a person. So, but subposting is where you're like, you don't, you say something about someone, but you don't actually use their name or something. So you'd be like, you leave here and you're like, man, I really hate it when some people preach at church and there's only two people at church, so I know it's me. I'm like, come on, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> don't subpost. Like, that's a practical thing. Are you, are you seriously thinking about what you're typing? It's, it's crazy to me, and I speak about this kind of stuff like keyboard courage and like, you know, I speak about this a lot because we're in youth and kids are like, ah, they're crazy, and they say the, like the weirdest and craziest and a lot of times the very most hurtful things online. But what's crazy to me is I've seen some adults that are way worse and my, my, even my, I don't know. I, I have family members that will even do that. It's crazy. That is not spiritual maturity. That is not very far in the process. And then the, the other thing is like you behind that one post about someone or mad about something or about that political party or, or about whatever, you're just railing on something. Behind that, you have a post about like, Oh, my favorite passage, John 3.16, yay. You know what I mean? Like, and it, come on, come on. We're talking about loving people, loving each other practically. It means forgiving immediately when someone is offensive to you. Not being offended in general. Look, offense, I've talked about not offending already, but understand something else offense is not the cardinal sin. Like, for someone to be offensive to you is not like, oh, Christianity's dumb, I'm out. You know, that's, you see what I'm saying? Like, we can't react that way. That's not love. Obedience is another crucial fruit. We've talked about it. We have to obey God's word and actively seek what that looks like. Ultimately, producing fruit looks like putting on the characteristics of Christ. It just, it's tied so closely to abiding in him. Putting on the characteristics of Christ. And again, if you don't know what that means, you need to. Like, look, look at John. Read John and, and see what he shows us are the characteristics of, of, of Christ. We're talking about humility Humility that puts aside power as we see it. Humility that puts aside strength as we see it. 
Humility that is God in a human form, born as something as vulnerable as an infant, living to die the worst death known to the culture for our sins. People who, on the daily, spit on this. That is the humility. That is the characteristics that we see in Christ. Love that is unconditional. Truth that is not scared. Do you, do you see? Are you with me? The band can come if they're ready. Or, uh, yeah, sorry, Sandra. The one, one lady band. I am the true vine. And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Ultimately, and we've obviously touched on this already, the vine is the gospel. God became a man. He's Jesus. He lived a perfect life only to die for us. He he lived a perfect life just to, to die for us, to show us his character, to show us how to live. He became sin on our behalf. We can be connected to God through the true vine, reconciled to him, forgiven because of him. We can be saved because of him. John shows us this is who Jesus is. And he urges us to respond. It's because of this vine, it's because of this gospel, the truth in his word, that we have to bear fruit. That we should be moved to bear fruit. That we should be willing to go through the pruning process. Willing to grow, to learn something new, to think something new. To, and I'm not saying new is always better, I'm just saying willing to be changed and used by God. This is the message of the true vine. And it is a powerful one. And we would be so wrong to let this be something that loses its meaning. Amen? We We've talked about who he is, and John shows us this this incredible true vine, this incredible Jesus. But don't forget about the apple trees and their purpose to produce. Lord Jesus, help us to respond to you. And as we go into this time of worship 
we're singing and lifting you up together, Lord, I pray that we would begin the process of abiding in you now. We would fix our eyes, fix our heart and lives on who you are. In the name of Jesus, amen. Church, stand with me and let's, let's sing together.